It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. And welcome to your Wednesday afternoon. James Golden, a.k.a. Snerdly, here with you. If you'd like to be part of the program today, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-92-22. And we have a lot to do. Of course, you know by now that the subway shooter, Frank James, 62 years old, has been arrested. He was spotted strolling around on uh, the in the East Village, the Lower East Side, in the East Village, 24 hours plus after gunning down 10 people at the subway station in Brooklyn. It turns out that this man, if you'd like to call him that, has filled apparently with hatred and racial animus. And uh, his investigations are ongoing. The, inf- the FBI, in fact, is investigating his social media post. And we shall learn in coming days a lot more about this man. Also, something weird. James Hinckley Jr., who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan, is going to be playing a sold-out concert in Brooklyn this summer. How odd. Joining us in mere moments with another breaking news story, will be a good friend of the program and a hero, in my view, of journalism, James O'Keefe. It turns out, ladies and gentlemen, that the Justice Department of the United States, your DOJ, and remember, I complain often about how corrupt the DOJ has become and how politicized. It turns out that the DOJ has been secretly spying on Project Veritas journalist, on James O'Keefe, even on the security details. James, welcome to the program. James, what a news day. It turns out the Department of Justice spying on you, your organization, your security detail. What's this all about? That's right, James. Thanks for having me on. And this is a this is a this is a big one. Um the feds issued secret warrants uh, and spied on us going back to 2020. I haven't been charged with anything. Uh, and, and the feds went to different judges in New York and got Apple and Google to fork over emails, including my security detail. They, they're going after people tasked with protecting the lives of Project Veritas journalists. And this is so crazy. I know it's hard to shock anybody anymore in this crazy world we're living in. But the Department of Justice has issued nine secret subpoenas and warrants for private journalist emails. And Apple has complied with these warrants. And then the Department of Justice put a gag order on these companies from talking about it. Those gags have just been lifted. uh, and, uh, And the Project Veritas attorneys have now filed a motion Uh, outlining all the corruption, the breaking of the law, the violation of the reporter's privilege. Even the ACLU is upset about this. Um, And uh, this is a big, big developing story. James, why? Why do you think the DOJ took such an interest in you? And do you know who these, where this order came from inside the DOJ? Uh, we, We were trying to determine if it came from what they call Maine Justice, which is Washington, D.C., Department of Justice and the Attorney General in Washington, D.C., or it came from within the Southern District 
of New York. The, the, the issue is there are certain laws that the Department of Justice has to comply with when they execute search warrants against journalists. They have to talk to you before raiding your home. They And these secret warrants, it's, it's never happened before. I mean, this is, again, we're investigative reporters, and this appears to be related to the Ashley Biden diary. That's the daughter of the president. Someone sent us this diary, and we never published it. Uh, and there's there's no there's no understanding of what crimes have even been committed. The the feds put on the warrants transportation of these documents across state lines. But the transportation of documents a source gives to you that that's protected by the Supreme Court. So it appears to be that the DOJ they broke the regulations. They violated the Privacy Protection Act. They violated the Fourth Amendment against improper uh, searches and seizures, and they violated the criminal rules of, of criminal procedure. And the question is why? And that, that is what we don't know, and that's what the federal judge in New York just this week ordered the Department of Justice act, a- answer for all these actions. And we don't know what the po- possible answer could be. It, 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 look, it appears as though they got, they got caught with their trunks down on this one. Well, and you still have this action going with the New York Times. Which is where is that? Where does that stand? That's been that's gotten past the motion to dismiss phase, and the New York Times has appealed the the the, the, the lawsuit, and that is currently in the New York State Court of Appeals. It's called the Supreme Court of the State of New York uh, Appellate Division, and the New York Times is protesting. They don't like the fact that I'm winning in that lawsuit, and as you may recall or, or may not recall, the New York Times published my attorney-client memos shortly after the raid. So the New York Times feels free to publish my attorney documents, privileged documents, in the lawsuit where I'm suing them. That's a sanctionable offense. The judge sanctioned them, ordered them to sequester those memos, and the New York Times uh, said that I was trying to muzzle them and compared it to the Pentagon Papers. So effectively, you have the entire national security apparatus along with their friends in the New York Times trying to, to silence me, jail me, uh, intimidate me, and it has had a chilling effect. Obviously, it has a chilling effect on the sources of journalists when you raid their homes and take all their stuff. And they took 200,000 of our emails, and they rifled through them. This is the greatest abridgment of freedom of the press ever in the history of the United States of America because, yes, they do it to other people, Roger Stone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They did it to journalists this time. And there's no crime being committed. So, yeah, it's so shocking that the ACLU, the Reporters Committee, uh, these are these are not right wing groups. These are not these are just moderate First Amendment groups are up in arms about this. And there should be more development soon. And you will please keep us posted and come back on the show and let everybody know what is going on. James, how can people support the organization? How can people support well, Project Veritas? We're a nonprofit. You can donate to our legal defense fund at projectveritas.com. Um, and, and that's what I would recommend everyone do to help pay our legal bills on this. And, um, uh, you know, you can also download Telegram, which is an app where you can see all of our motions and documents. This 50-page motion we filed is an extraordinary summary of the case and some of the fascinating constitutional issues. And you can, and you can be a whistleblower. We still, we still do have a secure tip line, VeritasTips at ProtonMail.com, VeritasTips at ProtonMail.com. If you see fraud or corruption, we'll go out and expose it. Now, James, let me just say one thing before you go. Um, back when I met you, and you were Rush Limbaugh. It was, of course, through the Rush Limbaugh show that I became aware. Of, <clears throat> excuse me, became aware of you. And Rush spent a great deal of time over the years uh, covering 
some of the investigative work that you and your fine team did. Um, in my view, James, you are an American hero. I've said that privately to people. I'm going to say it to your face here. You are a hero of journalism. You exposed the left. Don't forget, folks, if it were not for James O'Keefe, the group ACORN would still be around, although they've dispersed and, and uh, have organized into other groups. But the work that you have done, not only exposing government officials, but exposing people in the media, has been unparalleled. And you have taken a lot of personal shots for it, and apparently you are in the sights of the government of the United States and the biggest media companies in the United States. And you have been courageous all the way through. And this country, this anyone that stands for truth, especially in journalism and in government, owes you a tremendous debt of gratitude, James. Thank you very much for saying those kind words. And it's important that we fight. It's important we have integrity. Everyone's disillusioned. Everyone thinks nothing matters. But obviously things still do matter. And there's a lot of good people working in and around bad organizations. They need to follow their conscience and speak up uh, or, or else we follow the patterns of history. You guys out there, the listeners, have got to have courage. You've you got you to gotta step up. You've got to speak out. You've got to blow the whistle. We need the good people, not the politicians, not the senators. No, we need ordinary people in, in these organizations to step up. We are your catalyst if you reach out to us at Veritas Tips at ProtonMail.com. Thank you. Thank you, James. Keep us informed. That is James O'Keefe Project Veritas. Your government, ladies and gentlemen, along with Apple and Google, have been spying on him at the behest. Now, I can't blame Apple and Google when the government says we want information. Here's a warrant. So don't get me wrong. I'm not pointing the finger at them saying, ooh, bad, bad, bad. And then the government put a gag order on them from announcing what they're doing. But it is just ironic that Google, Apple, have been with the Justice Department spying on James O'Keefe and Project Veritas and their operation. And now we will see in the coming weeks and years ahead if there is any, any accountability for it. If you'd like to talk about that, if you'd like to talk about the subway shootings that are still on everyone's minds, we have Governor Hochul today the unelected Governor Hochul, defending, defending the bail reform in New York that has set criminals out on the street. She says she's got a sweet spot for bail reform. And she's also defending the $850 million that the state of New York is going to give for the Buffalo Bills to have a new stadium. While we have failing schools all throughout New York, $850 million for the Buffalo Bills. Yes, I know football, sports can generate revenue, but really, will it make up the money that's being spent? And by the way, if they're saying $850 million now, wait till the cost overruns come through, if they come through. And that is something that usually, not all the time, but usually happens. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurd, with you here on WABC. Don't go away. Entertaining and informative. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, is on the air. 77 WABC. Yes. 
WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly with you. It is my pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce you to a dear friend of mine who is one of the most brilliant writers and political pundits, uh, Lisa Schifrin. What else can I say? Lisa, welcome. WABC, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, James. I, I, I love your radio show, so I'm thrilled to be on it. Thank you. Uh, Lisa, you were there when the culture war got started, meaning there, meaning in the center of things at the White House. You were working for Vice President Quayle. Now, it's strange that it, it was Vice President Quayle. You reminded me of this after I played the Pat Buchanan speech several weeks ago and talked about the beginning of the culture war, and you added and refreshed my memory on some of the things that took place. Why don't we revisit that? Where did, and the reason, by the way, this is important today, there's a story in the Washington Post by Trump hater columnist Jennifer Rubin, and, but she's admitting something really that <laughs> liberals that. Yeah, yeah. Talk to progressive activists involved in just about any cause, abortion rights, racial equity, the environment, gun safety, and you will likely hear a sense of foreboding bordering on panic. They are worried that they are about to lose the culture war. But what we have seen flaring up with Disney and this this battle in Florida, in Alabama, and now it's spread. New Jersey is instituting these graphic sexual edu- so-called education courses to first and second graders. And in fifth grade, it gets even worse. Take us back to the beginnings of these culture wars. Well, you know what? I want to say two things. First, um, Quayle kicked it off that year, that election year, 1992. Um, you, you had been talking about the speech Pat Buchanan gave at the convention. Quayle kicked it off with the Murphy Brown speech, which was a response to the um, L.A. riots. But not to take anything away from Pat Buchanan, he was a culture warrior way before. He he started about when it really started, which was maybe 1968. And he, as you know, he wrote for Richard Nixon. And Nixon, you know, Nixon's great phrase on this subject was the silent majority, where he talked about the people who supported him and whose support he depended on who didn't get the attention of kind of the new left or hippies or the anti-war movement, all the things that the media put front and center. So, um, you know, Pat Buchanan deserves all the credit from way back. In 1992, Dan Quayle um, started talking – He the L.A. riots, as your readers may remember, um, occurred when Rodney King, who had been – beaten by policemen in Southern California. Uh, when the policemen were, were um, there was a judicial decision that let them off the hook. So how that would come out now, I don't know, but at the time it was pretty normal. And LA hmm. dissolved into into black riots. And it, it was... Yeah, those you know, riots were unforgettable. You saw a, a Reginald Denny beat in the head live on TV with a with a concrete block. L.A. burned, uh, Los Angeles burned. And after that, we had Maxine Waters, for instance, which I find today uh, kind of uh, almost ironic, saying that she wanted a bill so that the people in her district could have grooming money. Little did we know what grooming would would come to mean in these days and ages. But, yeah. But so, yes, we had the L.A. riots, and then what followed that was Murphy Brown with single mothers, 
make right. basically doing a show, single mom gets pregnant, and that caused Dan Quayle to speak up. This is wrong. And right. He actually gave a long, long speech at the San Francisco Economic Club in which he talked about all the ways in which black America was doing way, way better than anticipated and uh, expected. And then we ever heard since the Civil Rights Act, um, you know, incomes were up. Mostly people were doing just fine. But then you've got part of the black community, the inner city kind of multi-generational uh, welfare part, which is small but gets a lot of attention. Um, and they weren't doing well because really ever since the Great Society, Lyndon Johnson in the, in the 60s, um, paying women to have children out of wedlock with no man in the home had done exactly what you think it would do. There were no men in the home. There were no fathers. Um, and that that's devastating. So you had generation after generation of boys being raised without fathers. And this will almost invariably pretty much anywhere lead to gangs, which is what had happened in L.A. So that was where that came from. And it was just a throwaway line at the end. You know, he talked about this in very serious sociological terms and economic terms. But at the end, this throwaway line about how uh, this very popular TV show is now celebrating single motherhood. And when they hit back, which they did immediately, literally the producer, CBS News, called the producer of the Murphy Brown show to comment on Dan Quayle's speech 5,000-word speech, um, literally for the 6 o'clock news that night. So they went straight to their, you know, to Hollywood writers. They they went after Quayle for hating women and for hating single mothers who are the bravest people on earth. Single mothers are very brave, hating divorced mothers, hating everybody. And it it was such a rich field to mine and so easy to throw this in the face of conservatives who don't know how to argue in the culture war that it <laughs> you know it went on for months right. and certainly George Bush was not the kind of republican who was ever going to argue on these terms he found it all very distasteful and uh quail i think did a valiant job and it took a little while to be vindicated a few years but you know we went from 20 something percent national illegitimacy rate to better than 50 percent so we're we lost so big on this that it's not even nobody even talks about it anymore it's and now look at where the country is today look at where the country has turned for instance if you talk to um to in the black community at that time there was a transition that was occurring in the 1950s early 60s in black communities they had the lowest rate of abortion and also the highest rate of two-parent families after the Great Society. Right now, black women in America have the highest rate of abortions, also the highest rate of single motherhood. So everything is flipped on its head, and when you start talking about the impact on society, if you are brave enough to talk about it, you get called a racist. If you get brave enough to talk about what has happened in the culture now, the glorification of violence, the, look, just today, uh, there was a, there's a story of, what is this, a, someone that's going to be elevated for a speech. At a New York college, at SUNY, there was a cop killer that was invited in the last month to speak to the students. And today, 
even there's more news of, of Hinckley, who shot, tried to assassinate an American president, who is now having a sold-out show well, in it's Brooklyn. Psychotic. It's psychotic. Uh, it, elevating total dysfunction and even, you know, psychosis is beyond who ever thought we'd get here. It's hard to I mean, I'm glad that Jennifer Rubin thinks her at, you know, her activist friends are, are upset because they should be upset because they've gone way too far everywhere. It's you know, it's it was one thing to be for the sexual revolution. And it turns out not quite as good a thing as some people might have thought at the time. Um, but quite another thing to tell kindergarten children that their their birth sex isn't isn't permanent. They could pick something else if they don't like it. That that is so far beyond anything rational that it's uh, you know that I hope there's a counterpunch coming because God knows we need it. Well, and what you just described is happening in the state of New Jersey. Come September, it is the law, and we have been reading from the curriculum curriculum on the the last few days, not only for first and second graders but for fifth graders, and some of it is so graphic that it's almost hard to hear it. But this is what is going on in the schools, and it is not just New Jersey. It's Washington State. It's Oregon. And, of course, we know what has already happened in Florida. There have been a spate of TikTok videos recently with people that are on the other side of this, and they are describing what they are teaching the children. There is actually one today um, that's in the news where there's a teacher who says she gives her her, these are first preschoolers, She's letting them pick different pronouns every day to call themselves. This is insanity on parade. It is insane. It's just plain insane. I I thank God all the time that my own children are in their 20s, and I don't have to fight this day in, day out, because how demoralizing for parents. And it, it's a... You know, it's a good sign that lots of people are pulling their kids out of public schools. The The teachers' unions who are part of the problem here, um, made enough enemies during COVID when it was clear that they were not going in to show up for work. And it was clear also that they were behind a lot of this curriculum. Um, they are, you know, they're kind of killing their profession. Let us hope, Lisa. If you look down the road, mm-hmm. you'll, see, you'll see fewer and fewer Americans sending kids to public schools. I hope you're right. Thank you for joining us, Lisa. We hope to hear from you in the near future. What a pleasure to Thank talk you. with you. WABC and happy Easter to you. WABC Talk Radio 77. Remember, folks, Catch at Night comes up after this show. We'll be back right after this. Oh, knows politics and so much more. A true connection to real New York on 77 WABC. Yeah, you know how to do it. W-A-B-C Talk Radio 77. The Bridgies bring us back. Here are the details on that uh, story I was just talking about. A preschool teacher, you can find the story today at bizpackreview.com, bizpack, B-I-Z-P-A-C, review.com, bizpackreview.com. Preschool teacher says she has... Four-year-olds pick a pronoun pin every day to wear. A woke preschool teacher took to TikTok recently 
declared she proudly teaches diversity in her classroom of four-year-old students. She uses kid books, and she has them choose a colorful pronoun pin every day. Now, you can hear the video. They have the video there. And it, this teacher says, hi, my name's As. Then Her name is As, A-S. Hi, my name's As, and I'm a preschool teacher. So, my classroom celebrates diversity. It's probably my favorite thing to teach. We usually use kids' books to talk about this kind of thing. Recently, we started wearing pronoun pins, and the kids get to pick a new pronoun pin every day. We have some that pick like she, her, every single day, and we have some that change it up. So diversity is really important on my mind. So I realized that there's a whole lots of amazing figureheads and people to look up to in this world who aren't white or straight or male and what have you. And that's what we should learn a little bit more about these people. This is what is being taught to four-year-olds. They're choosing pronoun pins. I want to see the four-year-old who understands what a pronoun is exactly. And when people talk about grooming, the left gets upset. But I don't know how you could characterize this in any other way. This is not teaching diversity. It is trying to force an agenda on four-year-olds. Now, if you go to what's being offered in New Jersey, we have been playing clips of what is being suggested to be taught in New Jersey to first graders. And maybe we've been playing them the last two days. Maybe we'll let you hear it again before the program ends. But meanwhile, let's get to the telephone and let us start off with Mark in Staten Island. Mark, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Hi, James. I want to talk about the subway shooter. Yep. Um, I didn't hear anything about a gun charge when, when they were announcing what he's going to be charged with. Are, gonna, are they going to swallow the gun again? Well, you, know you raise an interesting question. Normally, I would say to you, Mark, are you some kind of kook? But no, because we have a district attorney that has said that where possible, people should not be charged with gun crimes, right? And we have a governor in this state who is reveling in the fact that the bail reform laws, as she says, she has a soft spot in her heart for them. And she also says, by the way, so that we can give a fair account of what Governor Hochul said, she said she claims that, that recidivist criminals are not getting out under the bail reform law, but everybody that has been reading the news and reading who some of these perpetrators are in, in criminal actions, some of them have committed crimes within hours after being released from other crimes. So clearly the governor is either misinformed or she's not telling the truth. What is happening in New York City, what is happening in New York State, what is happening in blue cities around the country that have these woke quote-unquote, district attorneys that are not prosecuting the law is a disgrace. And so we get a caller from Staten Island, Mark, who says, well, wait a minute. I heard all the charges. I didn't hear anything about a gun charge. Are they going to bury it? 
this is a legitimate question, Mark, and we'll have to look into it. They, they bury gun charges for criminals, yet they pass. You know how many gun laws there are in this country? Over 20,000 gun regulations. And they want to pass even more. Yet when a criminal uses a gun to kill somebody, they need to bury it. Thank you for the call, sir. Quite well informed. Thank you. Let us go to New Jersey and Michael. Michael, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. You're on with James Golden. What's on your mind this afternoon, Michael? Uh, yeah, I wanted to ask a question, and that is that if the schools teach gender fluidity, and that is against religion, for instance, the, there's a lot of the material that they want to teach is against Judaism. So aren't they violating freedom of religion of my children? Why are they allowed well, this? It's not just this the isn't... value that they're teaching. Mm-hmm. That value is contrary to my religion, because my religion says you're not allowed to do this. You can do it later in, in explaining, but how do you do this to a little kid and, and allow it to be permissible? Because that's really what they want to say, right? That's, that's against my freedom of religion. How do they get away with that? Well, they get away with it because the answer to you is, well, if you don't like what we're doing, take your kids out and put them in private school. And that's what the thought is. We have control of your kids. You don't. It in fact, the, the, Michael, there's another video that I saw today that said pretty much, listen, if your parents don't go along with the way we think, F them, except to you, this, this teacher used the word, F them. You're, out, you're my kid now. You're not their kid anymore. And this is the way that some, some, not all, some of these teachers who want to radicalize these children with this sexual education early, that's what some of them believe. And you raise a very interesting question. How are they allowed to, to violate? You're right. Well, you, you should be happy, Michael, to learn that the governor of your state, New Jersey, Mr. Murphy, has said that if enough of you parents, if enough of you parents complain about the new sex education that they're putting in for first and second graders there, he might consider, he might consider your complaint. I'll give you the last word, Michael. What do you say? This definitely should be brought in front of the Supreme Court. I think it's a constitutional issue because they tell you that you have to send basically your kid to public school. That's what it's there for. So then how can they violate my religion? It's a contradiction in terms. Michael, thank you. You are absolutely right. And I do hope that some of these cases get to the Supreme Court. I have a feeling that in coming years we are going to see, thanks to the law in Florida, which is already being legally opposed, Alabama law is a little bit more stringent in that Alabama has said, okay, we are not giving these puberty blockers, we are not going to sanction their use for, for minors in this state. That is already being challenged in the courts. That is definitely going to, I don't know how the court cases are going to be resolved, but I can see that these court cases may go on for years and may have to be resolved at the Supreme Court level. Michael, thank you so much for the call. Bob from Westchester, welcome. WABC Talk Radio 77. Thank you, James. James, I have a question. Uh, Before bail reform, when you went to be, I guess, sentenced, if you could post bail, you could pay and you were set free. If you couldn't, you went to jail. Is that correct? That's correct. What they should do now is nobody goes home. Nobody's set free. 
everybody goes uh, to jail. Uh, 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 they can't do that. You know why? <clears throat> because our Constitution does allow for the presumption of innocence. And if you do that, and, you, and, and if you allow for the presumption of innocence, you can't just say, well, you've been accused of a crime, and therefore everybody's going to have to stay in jail until their trial. You have to have some method of bail for some people. Now, what has happened, of course, and the, the, the lead argument in bail reform has been that it's racist and also that it's, that it's classist in that poor people can't afford bail, but rich people can. And, of course, anything that has to do with anything in this country, liberals claim is racist because it hurts black people and minorities. They are the hardest hit, yada, yada, yada. And that is why we have this crazy bell reform in New York, which the governor of New York, the unelected governor, says that she has a sweet spot for. Let us go to Staten Island. John, make it quick, John. We've got to head to a break soon, but I wanted to get you in. What's on your mind this afternoon, John? Thank you, Bo. I was going to say, uh, what seems to keep being harassed and hassled by this Merrick Garland, who was supposed to be a Supreme Court judge but never made it, maybe we should have him act like a Supreme Court judge since he's doing Department of Justice. I want to see his brief on anything he does. If you want that to be a judge, let's see a brief on all charges that he does on anybody. And if he's doing his hush-hush stuff with uh, the, the actual you know, uh, law enforcement, he should be out there explaining everything, because if he doesn't, he should step down as a, as a, as a Department of Justice head. Can't well, you know what? Justice. Number one, you raise a great point. We are so happy, and this is why I say we have to thank the turtle, Mitch McConnell, that Mar- Merrick Garland is not on the Supreme Court. He was put in front of us by Obama as some moderate. He is anything but a moderate. He is a partisan. Remember, this is the same DOJ that was trying to enact a movement to call parents protesting what is going on in these schools as domestic terrorists, while at the same time having a family member who is invested with millions into the school materials that are themselves under question. And that has never really been exposed. So, yes, thankfully, and thank you, Turtle, Merrick Garland is not on the court. As to accountability, he should absolutely be held to account, and the Freedom of Information Act should be used by every single group that has a reason to bring it to this Justice Department. This is James Golden, a.k.a. Snurdly, coming back. We've got more news. I want to talk for a minute when we get back about the other action that's going on in Texas. Yes, illegal immigrants have now been dropped off within blocks of the White House. But there's even more going on. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Now, here's the soul of excellence. James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. You know who this is. Chicago. The one and only Chicago. Yeah. You know our love was meant to be. One of the best bands Of all time. And I want you here with me. With one of the best guitarists who was sadly taken away so young, Terry Kath. 
died playing Russian roulette. But this entire group, amazing musicians, amazing vocalists, amazing composers. The White House, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you got to hand it to Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, when he first announced that he was going to get buses and send illegal immigrants to New York to uh, Washington D.C. Jen Psaki called it a publicity stunt, and liberals laughed at him. Today, the first bus dropped off illegal immigrants within blocks of the White House, walking distance of the White House. And there are pictures of them getting off the bus, some of them wearing masks, and now they're in D.C. And hopefully over the next few weeks and months, there will be scores of other buses transporting illegal immigrants that Joe Biden has let through the border up to Washington, D.C. You know these these illegal immigrants are spread throughout the U.S. with flights in the dead of night including Westchester County Airport. Uh, And so we are finally seeing a governor take some action. He's doing something else, though, that has the governments of two countries and truckers upset. He is doing enhanced safety inspections on all the trucks coming in through some of the busiest, uh, some of the busiest traffic areas between the borders of the United States and Mexico. On our podcast, On the Border, we've talked about this extensively, I urge you to go check out that podcast, On the Border. Most nerdies On the Border. And our uh, co-host, Todd Benzman, is an amazing reporter who is down there, who reports things weeks ahead of time, or sometimes is reporting things that are never, ever, ever reported on in the mainstream media. Now, some of these drivers are now sitting for over 30 hours without food, water, places to bathe, and it's hot out there. They are in Tejas, over 100 degrees. The delays of these truckers, and these truckers are locked in miles and miles and miles of of traffic backlog, have now become an issue for the governments of Mexico and the United States. They're worried about the economic impact. They're worried about produce that will be rotting on these trips. And so they're all begging Abbott, hey, stop this. Let's get back to business as usual. This could very well backfire on Governor Abbott. But for the meantime, he looks like a governor that's finally had enough of these open borders and is doing something about it. We can talk about that tomorrow. We can talk about that Saturday on the show. And we have a three-hour show on Saturday from 7 a.m. until 10 We can talk about loads of things. So join us then, too. Remember, Cats at Night comes up next. Let's head back to the telephones with Amy and Manalapan. Amy, how are you? Hurry up. It's just Mordica practice. Hi, Amy. Amy's busy. She's got somebody that's practicing. Well, let's put Amy on hold and come back, see whether that gets straightened out. Let's go to Karen in Rockland County. Karen, welcome. WABC. Talk Radio 77. How are you, Karen? Well, Karen, let's try Leon. I don't know what's going on in the phones right now. 
three third time has to be the charm. Leon, how are you? Welcome, WABC. Your your phones are your phones are working great. Uh, I got two things. One, you are the best kept secret that Rush Limbaugh ever kept undercover, because you are great. Second, uh, I think I know what's going on here with these children in this class and what they're teaching them and what they're trying to do. If I remember correctly, Hitler and or the Nazis or whatever, they said, give me a kid when he's nine and I'll give you back the kid when he's 12 and you will never change his mind. And they are doing what Hitler did in the late 30s. Where do you think he got all those Nazis from? He trained them in the late 30s. Well, now, first of all, I appreciate your kind remarks. Let us be true to history. The Hitler youth, that's what you're talking about. The Hitler youth were trained. The whole country of Germany was, was enslaved, if you were, by Nazism. And those who did not agree with it had to keep very quiet. Otherwise, they would be targeted by the state. And children were also a part of it. But Hitler got most of his Nazis, most of his Nazis, were adults when they came into the party. Now, let's compare what is happening now with children here. I don't think it's a fair comparison to say that these children are being Nazified. But that does not diminish what they are being indoctrinated with, which is with this early sexualization, and they are being indoctrinated indoctrinated with this early sexualization on purpose. And a lot of people should be asking, why? Thanks so much for the call. Let's head back to Manalapan and see if Amy's ready. Amy, you with us? Can you hear me? I hear you fine, Amy. I'm so blessed to be talking to you. And, and I was listening to Project Veritas. I love them, and your friend was so great. So, so I'm, I have a perspective that I don't really hear a lot. I feel like I'm not supposed to exist because I'm um, an Ecuadorian, Russian, Caucasian, New York City union worker who's, you know, a Trump supporter and feel like our country's being taken over by people who sold us out and we're going to lose our country. And there's like this like zeitgeist of like urgency and immediacy that I feel like you're able to verbalize and we all keep agreeing on it. But like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, I feel like I'll, I'll tell you what we're lives. doing. Let me get, let me give you a good example of what's being done. The new governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, has just made an amendment to a law that has now become law, which means that all, all of the members of the Loudoun County board there, the school board there, have to stand for election in November. All of them have to face the parents. That's one thing that's being done. And by the way, Governor Youngkin, just like Governor DeSantis, just like... Uh, Governor Christy Nome. The media hates these people. They try to smear them. They write them. But these are governors. These Republican governors are actually taking action in their state to push back. And we have other people pushing back. The people that are pushing back the most, however, are parents who are sick of what is going on in their schools. And so I urge all of you parents in New Jersey who care about the issues, the sexualization of children in the first and second grade, the sexualization of children in the fifth grade, 
your governor has said, if enough of you speak up, why he may even bother to listen to you a little bit. So all of you should be speaking up because this law in New Jersey and what they are planning on doing to your children is definitely psychologically and morally harmful. So if you care about it, you should get involved. But there are people getting involved. There is pushback. Amy, you are not alone. And so many people are pushing back now that we are engaged in this culture war, finally. And the left are starting to panic. That's why Jennifer Rubin, Trump hater for the Washington Post, took a break from Trump hate and actually wrote about something else today. They are worried. They are very worried. Karen, Rockland County, we have one minute. You have to make it quick. Okay. Um, as far as, uh, I don't know why uh, James isn't going after Bill Blasio and his wife for the uh, $1,000 that they stole from the police and from the mentally ill. That would take care of a lot of problems in New York City. Letitia James is because Letitia James is too busy trying to fabricate something against Donald Trump and his family instead of actually looking what we what so many people like you, Karen, have said. You give billions of dollars to your wife to manage and we can't find the money. Why isn't somebody looking at where the money was spent? But supposedly the mental health of people in New York by Bill de Blasio and his wife. Where is the money? Thank you. We do appreciate Karen hearing from you and everyone else. Those of you who didn't get through on hold today, we always have tomorrow, and we have another three hours on Saturday. Look, folks, we are pushing back. We are Pennsylvania. We are Connecticut. We are New Jersey, and we are New York. We are all New York. We are New York City, the greatest city in the world. And, of course, the United States our beloved, a nation like no other in history. May God bless and protect each and every one of you and your families and look down with special favor on those people suffering under the hands of that tyrant, Putin. We'll be back tomorrow. Catch a night up next. See you then. Bye.